0: In a world where there is less tolerance, where people are not listening, I would recommend get everyone over the dinner table. I have found that over my life, I've gotten more accomplished over the dinner table than I have the boardroom table, my desk. When I get people out and I share good food, drink with them, it's amazing the things we can solve together. What's fascinating about this next generation they're interested in how it's made as because they they care about sustainability, but they're mm-hmm. more interested on how are you sourcing the inputs? Are the grains non-GMO? Are they yeah. grown organically? Are you paying fair wages? I'm watching my kids do the exact same things that I did, but they want to do it in a sustainable way, paying fair wages, non-GMO, totally inclusive. This is the most thoughtful generation.
1: Hi there, food enthusiasts. Thanks for tuning in to Future Foodcast, where thought leaders in today's food industry discuss the trends and technology that will shape the future of food. Today, we're speaking with Charles uh, Marinoff. And um, he comes from Breakthrough Beverage uh, as an industry. So Charles is uh, chairman of the board and I guess past CEO as well. And so with that, uh, Charles, uh, how are you doing today?
0: doing great thank you very much thank you thank for inviting you. me to be here
1: yeah and we're really glad to have you on the show and I did get a chance to talk to you a little bit before so I am excited only cuz you have such a rich background in uh, so many other areas too uh, obviously i <laughs> i'd like to have a much longer conversation than we're going to have the opportunity today um separately but Um, Anyway, it's great to have you here on the show. Um, What, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the background, both of Breakthrough Beverage and a little bit about your uh, background as well in the industry?
0: Sure. Um, Our family truly lived the American dream. And my father went to Harvard Law School, uh, graduated second in his class at Harvard, and back then, they weren't hiring Jews at the top law firms. So my, my father actually became a US prosecuting uh, attorney working in the Eastern uh, uh, District uh, for the federal government. Uh, the joke in the family was, out of his first 44 convictions, 30 of them were my grandfather's friends. It was very embarrassing. But, <laughs> I, but uh, eventually, my grandfather's partner passed away. My father was on the had a DA salary. My grandfather invited him into the family business and he he came to work uh, for his father. Um, It wasn't the greatest experience. Uh, My grandfather was that first generation. There was one way to do it. It was his way. My father was a very smart, creative man. He wanted to do it different ways. They struggled. My grandfather eventually passed away and my father truly built out the business my grandfather didn't want to grow the business. He didn't want to grow beyond where he could manage it, where my father understood that you could grow beyond by managing and working with people. Uh, My father really built out the footprint of the company. Um, Our first major deal was uh, building a uh, doing a deal with a company called Sunbelt in in early 90s. Uh, That put us in a we were one state operation in New York. We had bought a wholesale house in uh, Connecticut, and that, that put us in 12 other states. Wow. Six years ago, we merged with uh, the Works Organization out of Chicago to form a Breakthrough Beverage. Today, we do a little over $6 billion worth of sales. We operate out of 14 different markets. We have 7,000 associates, 3,000 are in sales, the other in Are in uh, logistics, operations, and and so forth. Um, I'm also involved uh, very much in the food space, though our business is uh, Wine and Spirits. I uh, sat on the board of the Culinary Institute for 12 years. I'm a board member emeritus. I still sit on their development committee. Uh, I also own a few edible magazines out of New York. So food has always been a passion. It goes along with the wine and spirits end of the business. And uh, it's a very exciting uh, time uh, to be in the industry. We now have four members of the fourth generation, none of my kids, but other family members, kids working in the business. And uh, we're excited about the prospects of the industry. Wine and Spirits has done extremely well uh, during the pandemic. Uh, I joke around and I say, This is not good for society, but all you guys are drinking way too much. Uh, Our business is incredibly doing incredibly well. Uh, Young people love spirits, actually spirits as a percentage of share versus beer and wine have grown in the past few years. Uh, More Mm -hmm. expensive uh, beer and uh, wine and our national brands are, are doing extremely well.
1: Excellent. And it's interesting you bring that up. So I compare me and my son, who's much younger, he's that millennial generation, as my daughter is, and um, you're right, they're definitely into different types of spirits, you know, a lot more into, I'll call it whiskies and, and so on than I am, uh, for sure. And that does seem to be a trend with his friends as well, for sure. So that's interesting. The other thing you brought up is um, the growth uh, in the markets as well. So you're serving, I'll call it uh, different types of distribution outlets. So you serve, I assume, retail outlets, a lot of I live in actually in Massachusetts now. So we have what I call package stores, which is like nowhere else on the planet Earth, as you know, and the liquor laws here are insane. Um, but that said, um, the bottom line is we have I'll call, it normal liquor distribution channels or outlets, I guess I would say in most states. And then you also have uh, food service industry as well. Do you service them as well?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we we service all package stores, all restaurants, hotels, anyone that has a uh, liquor license, we sell to. Uh, The industry is highly regulated. There's a three tier system. The first tier is the manufacturer uh, or importer. They Mm -hmm. sell through a distributor and the distributor sells to restaurants and hotels and retail stores there is clarity from the manufacturer right down to the retailer. In fact, that's why we're unbelievably efficient at collecting sales tax and at collecting uh, uh, liquor tax, state and federal, because there's total transparency from the manufacturer to the distributor to the retailer. We're exclusive in most of our states, uh, and there is primary source laws that I am the only, the local distributor is the only one who can buy that product and sell that product in that state. So mm-hmm. you, you, you can't cheat on sales tax or any other tax because the federal government just goes to the distributors. We hand over those records. So they have total clarity of what goes yeah. the system.
1: Actually, you know, you're right. I hadn't thought about that, but it's significantly different than the rest of the food chain because since the day, as you say, prohibition ended, everybody said, great, now what are we gonna do with them? We're gonna tax the hell out of them. And so you're right, they've been collecting taxes and nobody wants to lose a penny of tax revenue, no matter what the uh, locality or jurisdiction is. So they're gonna make sure that they get every penny and they've been focused on that for almost a hundred years now, so I would I would imagine with that, um, I'll put the legal side of it, the collection side of it, that you're in a very different position than most of the food supply chain, which is only more recently become put, better organized, better automated, better tracking on information, if you will, but in your end, I would imagine you're almost the easiest segment of the food supply chain. If I said, how do you automate things like that Food Safety Modernization Act that's coming up in 2024 when it takes effect? And I said, okay, we got to track uh, recalls and food traceability and so on it's your industry would be well ahead of the rest of the industries uh, to be able to do that successfully for sure, which is awesome. So uh, yeah, you're in a, definitely a different category. Um, you talked a little bit about the outlets and so on. Um, and you, and I will, not I don't, I, there's a long list of states, I guess I'll say it looks like you're in about 20 different states now. Is that correct? Oh, 14 states? Oh, 14 states, 14 states plus Canada. Yeah. Um, and then operating there. And then, uh, I don't know anything about the industry. How does, in your world, how does a distribution organization, because I'm assuming all those states have other distribution companies potentially that you go to, but they wind up working with yours, so maybe you can help me understand sort of the advantages that Breakthrough
0: Beverage brings to the marketplace. Uh, first of all, you're li- you, you have to do business through a licensing. So, uh, you have to sell to a distributor. So you have to be licensed in the state, you know, obviously it is, and each state operates to your point, every state operates differently. That's why national marketers are very frustrated when they come into beverage alcohol, because what you can do in New York, you doesn't mean you can do it in New Jersey, that you can do it in Connecticut, Massachusetts, each state is uniquely structured and set up. But they all have a some, some commonality to it, where distributors all need to have localized warehousing, delivery trucks uh, to do business. So in each state, we have a sales force that calls on every single account, you know, from some maybe only once a month to once a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we are the exclusive distributors in a given state. So in the state of New York, we are the Brown Forman distributor. We're the only ones of Johnny Walker. In mm-hmm. Maryland, we're Diageo and Moet and Hennessy. We're the only ones that carry those items. Uh, we offer next-day delivery uh, to all of our, almost all of our customers. In some of the outer boroughs, we go to a zone delivery. Mm-hmm. Uh, we pay commission sales for some salary, some commission, different in each state. Some states like in New York, are business is unionized.
1: Yeah, so help me out a little bit. My background actually is I used to run a, a display manufacturing company. So when you think about merchandising at a store level, uh, in a sense, uh, my father would build the displays for the store. So if it was, uh, you know, Crown Royal or something or whatever the thing was, and I'm guessing that most of those things were paid by the manufacturer usually to promote their thing. And then the reverse of it is, in my case, I had a business that we did advertising promotions. So we used to do those little key tags that would say, uh, you know, Bailey's cream or whatever it was, or Irish cream, something like that. We'd make those things and. I, I assume those are also manufacturing promotions that drive through the distribution chain to the outlets for the most part. And I don't know if those are, have increased or decreased. I, I'm guessing the pandemic probably has an
0: impact on the re- retail outlet um, was, the sales. sales. What was fascinating during the pandemic was that certainly early on, the on-premise was shut down. Restaurants, by, April, by June of last year, Literally 97% of our on-premise business, we were off, was closed. What was remarkable was that the retail picked that all up plus plus. So our business was actually running 10, 12% up during pan, the pandemic. I joke around. People were locked at home, so they could start drinking earlier. Uh, they weren't driving any place so they could drink more. And they weren't spending any money in restaurants so they could drink better. Uh, The other thing that we saw was people were not going after innovation. They were really going after their the brands they knew, their comfort brands. So we saw all of our standard brands Mm -hmm. that have been sort of under attack a little bit by craft. We were talking about what, what are the trends that we're seeing. One of the most remarkable trends and we sort of what happened to beer in the last 20 years. You know, craft only 20 Sorry. years ago, there was craft and it had a, like a 3% share. Today craft has a 40, 45% share of the beer business. Mm-hmm. The wine business was always a very fractured business. Then we saw certain companies like a, a gallo, a constellation got large, but it is still predominantly a very fractured business. Yep. Spirits, which is a very concentrated business, is getting fractured. I think of when we look at trends in food, one of the most interesting trends I think that's happening, on one hand, you see the continued growth of the industrial food system, but then you see this next generation that is really focused more, not on production. My my generation, when, when, when we were interested in our products, it was how they were made, What's fascinating about this next generation, they're interested in how it's made as because they, they care about sustainability, but they're mm-hmm. more interested on how are you sourcing the inputs? Are the grains non-GMO? Are they yeah. grown organically? Are you paying fair wages to the people yeah. who are growing those things? So I, I joke around. I said, when I was uh, 17 to 27, I was focused on total debauchery, having a good time. I'm watching my kids do the exact same things that I did, but they want to do it in a sustainable way, paying fair wages, non-GMO, totally inclusive. This is the most thoughtful generation as they do the silly things we all do. They want to do it in a very thoughtful way, making sure we're taking care of society. So it's probably one of the biggest trends that we're seeing yeah is that trend towards small local um know the farmer know where that manufacturer sourced the product from or are they taking care of their communities
1: yeah and you're right that is a big difference and yeah I, I won't try to guess all the reasons for it part of it was i'll say when i was a kid a million years ago it didn't look like the world potentially could end. It seems like when I was growing up as a teenager, we just said, well, yeah, it is what it is. It'll be there forever uh, kind of a thing. And you're right, the concept that uh, in a sense, you have to be a better caretaker of the earth in a sense um, is a much stronger message today than we had grown up for sure. And you're right, it's nice to see that the majority of younger people have exactly the focus you're talking about, which is pretty cool, I, which is actually counter, your story is counter to a t-shirt I saw the other day I saw somebody in a, in fact, it was a liquor store, it, they were wearing a t-shirt that says, uh, in 20 years, uh, the, <laughs> the world's leaders will uh, have been homeschooled by day drinkers. <laughs> and they were talking about the fact, back to your point, that um, absolutely, I can see it in my own family that I'll quote, the volume of alcohol consumed has gone up because we were at home all those times. And even if I was working remotely, which I was, that's not the point. The point of it is, I was home, and to your point, I wasn't going out doing other things. I wasn't going to a ball game, I wasn't doing whatever, and so people still had to find a way to get together, even if it was over Zoom or Facebook or, or you know whatever it was, Skype, something like that. And so you you wind up in a sense uh, having whatever relationships you are, but you certainly had it wasn't a, a good time for the world. So I think we all tended to consume more alcohol than whatever normal amount was for sure, and it. It's interesting that you confirm that through the sales side and and you brought up a big point about um, the whole thing about fair wages, ethical sourcing, organic uh, components and so on. So help me understand a little bit um, in your world, because you're distributing spirits, they're coming from a manufacturer. So how in today's world, you're in the distribution role, as you said, licensed in all these different States as a distributor uh, for spirits. And so how, how does the distributor get impacted, if you will? Um, or how does he help, if you will, provide information on ethical sourcing? Isn't that all coming from the manufacturer or do you get involved? Sure
0: it is, but, but we have a, a huge opportunity to select the new brands. And, uh, and we're looking for those smaller suppliers who are doing it right, who are thoughtful about how they differentiate themselves by using unique grades how they're taking care of their local communities. And I, I think that's the biggest difference. Uh, even in marketing your brands. I said, it was, my generation was easy. You know, we were sort of socially minded. If you wrote a check once in a while to a charity, you right. could get away with being a good corporation. Where with this next generation, I'm telling corporate leaders that you need to actually be taking care of those communities. But wherever you're doing business, you need to make sure you're paying your people correctly, that your brands are treating the environment correctly. At the Culinary Institute, it's interesting. I I joked with them. I said, you know, 20 years ago, the school was about making the most amazing food. Today, it's about making amazing food that will heal the planet and heal Mm -hmm. the body. That this next generation wants to eat foods that will actually take care of all. I joined the board of North Shore Hospital, now Northwell. They told Mm me 70% of all disease is self inflicted. It is what we treat, what we eat, how we live our lifestyles. Yeah. So um, I, I think this next generation is unbelievably thoughtful about the ingredients they put in their body and then how you make them, how you impact the environment. Yeah. So they want, they want, to consume brands that are not hurting their place of uh, where that their place where they live yeah. their communities
1: yeah you're right so and actually you're right so i'd say it's it's not just a brand or a supplier but the the concepts that it's a healthy brand for me whatever the the food is going to be and that it's uh, ethical ethically sourced and delivered and all that stuff um is a big deal and in fact we've done a lot of these podcasts and we have dealt with people on, you know, from fishermen to growers of ginger in, in Peru and so on, all kinds of people all over the place, coffee, everything else, and dealt with manufacturers, uh, distributors, uh, shippers, all that, retailers on the food service side, regular retailers, uh, outlets and all that. And we have, like you're saying, we've we've hit certain stories where people say, oh yeah, It's not just that I have this product, like maybe fish, it's, oh, look, I put it in this container that's 100% biodegradable, it's no plastic, and yet the fish is gonna be fresh for a week or something like that, whatever the story is. But they've gone beyond the product into the packaging, into, you know, they're doing things like measuring what I call carbon miles, in a sense, because to your point, they're trying to say, no, we can do better by reshifting our suppliers to make them more local. We cut our carbon miles down. Um, so there are a lot of changes that are being made in that regard. And uh, some of them actually are going to the point now where they're literally, um, trying to figure out for certain, as you said, um, and I guess your experience at North shore medical center confirmed this, that, um, food is medicine or food is not medicine. And so what they're doing is saying, Hey, let's look at a condition. Like it could be diabetes or in my family's case, it could be Crohn's or whatever the condition is and saying, Hey can you tell me what the right diet is that would in a sense mitigate or improve that condition? And so now you've got people who are literally, I'll uh, sort of medical uh, dieticians, if you will, focused on specifically those kind of diets. And so it's almost like come in and test you and you have high blood pressure, I have, you know, Crohn's or whatever it is, and we get different diets and different ways to prepare the food, you know, based on our diet kind of thing. It's a level that is actually beyond me So, my son is more like the generation you're talking to at the Culinary Institute. He's a gourmet chef and he knows how to do all that stuff. And, uh, you know, he's of that generation that has a level of knowledge about food, food preparation and everything else and how to make it healthy well beyond what I've learned in my much longer years on the planet for sure.
0: So, also as part of my repertoire, I am married to a biodynamic farmer. We have a raw milk dairy um we we raise chicken sheep turkeys we slaughter everything ourselves process everything ourselves awesome so um and we run a farm camp for kids five to ten years old
1: awesome. because
0: it took my wife 20 years to recalibrate me in terms of thinking about food she <laughs> says it wasn't worth the effort so she she's only working with young people but what what i see so amazing about the industrial food system is a tale of two cities, because one, we are continuing to build out our industrial food system. As I look at the Impossible Burger, as I look at genetics, growing seafood, growing meat, muscle, things in laboratories, making our food. Um, I see uh, urban um, agriculture, hydroponics, Mm-hmm. Um, i'm i'm a part of a group called uh, uh, the real organics project that is oh. protesting against hydroponics calling it organic because it's not grown in soil so how do you be organic if you're growing it in water, in water. and chemicals so
1: yeah, yeah you're right that's you've hit on some major splits and directionally within the food industry for sure And it's not so much the manufacturers and the distributors it's more the consumer side of it that says what are you demanding and so and i'll use the fishing thing as an example so we talk to all kinds of companies processing fish from different sources and so on and we have some companies that'll say oh no 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 no. it's not that it's it's wild caught that's not enough for us it can't be net caught it has to be line caught net caught catches things that aren't in a sense ethical so we only want to bring in fish that are line caught From the ocean, and and just like you say, with being licensed as a distributor for certain uh, types of spirits in different states, it's the same thing with fish. You're licensed for certain kinds of fish in certain territories, and to your point, they have uh, I'll call it limits on the catches that they're allowed to do, and so on, to be sustainable. So there are tons of regulations that are evolving in the
0: whole food industry like that. And I think the food industry, which is very different than the wine industry, was all about value saving money, bringing yes. food cheaply. Yep. One of the things that I say that I love about my industry is I sell grape juice from 2 dollars a bottle to $3,000 a bottle. Now, there's a qualitative difference between the 2 dollars and the $3,000, but it is not $2,997. We tell great stories. And it's about our products that create tremendous value. And it's one of the things that I'm trying to work with different states to develop a terroir system for food, as we have done with wine, that will highlight the value of of not the value added that we do with food, but the way we grow that food, the way we raise those animals that create value. In the yeah. raw food itself, because the way we raise our cows, the way we milk our calves, the way we make our maple syrup—all yeah. of these things are done small production, uh, limited animals, a lot of space, real food. Those makes those products different than at an industrial farm, and I I don't I don't demonize industrial agriculture. I'm just saying there's an opportunity to do small agriculture in an expanded way uh, that creates value for the farmer and the consumer by telling better stories about the products.
1: Actually, you're right. So uh, two things. I, I agree with you on both counts. I think we have to continue to improve, i the industrial production of food because our problem is we're not reducing the population of the planet. We're, uh, we That's the one thing I'll say is I've always said there were um, the one industry you always want to be part of that was guaranteed never shrink was garbage because there's no chance that garbage will ever come up less. Even if you start reducing your garbage personally, we're still going to have more people, more companies and so on. So garbage is the endless growth industry in my mind until something radical changes. That said, the industrial pipeline is able to deliver stuff to your point as it evolves at a low cost. So if you say, I got a lot of people to feed, you're gonna to have to find a way to do that. And on the other hand, if you have any level of, as you say, people who are concerned about health and nutrition and all that stuff, and all these other criteria, uh, if you can afford to do more than, uh, you know, whatever, a dollar a bottle for grape juice on sale, you know, at a retail outlet, then you want to make what I call the wise choices with the dollars you have to spend. And that's where, uh, in a sense, all of these people you're talking about who become highly educated are starting to vote with their dollars. And you really hit, and that's part of the Future Foodcast too, and that's why I thank you for coming on, is that um, the goal is to try to share this knowledge, as you point out. So, um, in fact, just to pick on you, you talked about your farm in Vermont. So you have the farm. Uh, Do you mind if we name the company or? uh, No, the farm is Meadows Bee Farm. Okay. And so awesome, because the bottom line is, it's getting the stories about, it's the stories that make the difference because people don't know. We just don't know. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how it's produced. And the truth is we do rely on, I'll call it middlemen to help us. So in the old days before Whole Foods existed, they had, I guess, up to 11 grocery stores in New England, but they directly sourced from farms like your farm. And they would call you every day and they would say, hey, Charles, so tell me, what are the eggs like today you know what eggs you got and so talk to me do you have this kind of cheddar or do you not have this kind of cheddar this week how are the apples is this a good week for macintosh or not and they literally because there was no internet they were manually sourcing this stuff on the phones all the time with all of you know farmers like yours and they used to bring that uh directly from the farms down to in a sense their processing uh, centers and they would then have it available in stores and when they did that, there was an absolute market for it for sure. This was up in the New England area and people were willing to pay a premium of, you know, maybe 200% in those days to say, hey, look at this. I, I'm telling you, the cheddar I get from Charles's farm is infinitely better than what I can get in those plastic wrappers. Um, and so uh, that kind of understanding, it's the knowledge of where the food comes from, who produced it, how it was produced in addition to what it can do for me that makes all that difference. And it really, the whole thing about this, your point about the story, getting that story out there well, for all of these vendors is a huge, huge deal.
0: Yeah. I think one of the real interesting challenges today, you know, before we were talking about merchandising, it was yeah. building a floor display, a shelf talker, a case card. Right. And Today it's very different. Uh, right. a more and more of the business, especially with the pandemic, people are buying online. Yeah. Now it's merchandising, not the floor, but the newsletter, the website. Right. And really getting brand evangelists. you know, advertising used to be wonderful. People paid attention to it. Now, right. no one wants to hear what the brand owner has to say. They want to hear what the opinion leaders have to say. So right. our greatest challenge today is not, and where we bring tremendous value to our suppliers is by working with our retailers to get our brands into their newsletters. So the retailers talking about our brands as the things they discover, putting it on their website, in their newsletter. So it's not the physical merchandising today, it is about getting their top customers to do tastings, Doing podcasts with them, getting yep. them to write about our products to their friends and family.
1: Yeah, and that's excellent point. And although my my son does podcasters, but it's not on food; it's on gaming. But he is that guy I'll call it that chef who creates what I call unique recipes for stuff. And so if he has a, a beef bourguignon recipe or something like that, it's using whatever you know cognac or something in it. Uh, it's his recipe that's going to drive uh, that stuff, getting it out there properly through those channels. You're right about that. And, and I can speak on the other end. I am not, I, I'm almost the world's worst cook. I'm close to that what I am is one of the world's best eaters. So I'll eat everything. So what I'll do is I cook nothing, but I'll find that recipe and I'll throw it over to my son and say, hey, Sky, look at this. Do you want to make this someday? <laughs> I'd be happy to sample it. But there's a lot of us who are big eaters like me. Uh, and there are people like my son and these other ones you're talking about, who are the real influencers, because they'll, they'll be creative with those products. And they actually, to your point, really understand the full story. So when he makes a dish or creates a dish or whatever, it's not just, yeah, this tastes good. It's like, here's what went into it. Here's why I made these choices. Here's where it came from, which is really good. And for those of us who don't do that, we still appreciate the story and we're still interested in it. So it does influence us to your point. So it's a big deal. So that's awesome. But yeah, so I can see the neat part is not only breakthrough beverage in the sense that you've been around for, I guess, almost hundred years now and the neatest thing is your dad obviously went the other direction. I think your grandfather must have influenced him said, it'd be helpful to have a lawyer in the family.
0: <laughs> so, he was so
1: proud. He was so yeah. proud. And it's, a, it's an interesting thing because your family has come a very long way in a lot of different directions. And the nice part is you built this huge business out of the whole thing over time. Yes, you merged with other companies and so on, but you've really built something that's a big, big deal. And back to the points we were making, you're basically a large, efficient distributor who's in a sense following all the regulations and everything else. And you know, to your point, when I look in the website, I can see all the other things that we talk about, stakeholders that you're supporting. So you're supporting employees, you're supporting in a sense communities, you're supporting the retail outlets, forgetting the end consumer even uh, as well. And then you have the other missions in a sense that the company supports as well.
0: Here's the other thing, and I tell my wife, because she's a biodynamic farmer, she does not like industrial uh, companies, and we're a large industrial company. I said, Do not worry, sweetie. As <laughs> I continue to get bigger, the good <laughs> news is I'm becoming less and less relevant to all those new people coming up. And today it's amazing. Everyone talks about consolidation in the industry, and we're consolidating at the top, but it is amazing what's happening on the bottom. There are 3,000 micro distilleries that have opened up, you know, thousands of breweries. And today there are more distributors. Everyone is saying the market's gone down to three to two. Well, that's of the large ones. Right. Well, You go into New York, you go into Washington, DC, Maryland, there are 20 small distributors now getting larger and larger. And as I get bigger, I'm more focused on my large suppliers. I I create opportunities for those small guys. Yeah. uh, They are all doing well. And uh, it's a very exciting industry, wine spirits. It's both agriculture. uh, And it's where you can create real value. So my daughter built a distillery on Long Island. She's working with all Long Island farmers, turning Mm -hmm. their products into value added products that they can make a living off of. So it's very exciting.
1: That is he, And you're right. There, the, you're. I, I really like the fact it is It is what it is, but the reality is that the world is becoming far more creative and far more differentiated in a sense on the kinds of offerings, whether it be spirits or if you're looking at foods and so on, how they're made, how they're processed. So our, in a sense, our choices as consumers keep opening up more and more. And you're also right that not everybody's going to say, oh, look. I found bread for 99 cents a loaf. Let's all go buy that version of bread. No way, we're all experimenting, trying different things. And so I agree with you that even as your company grows that you're right, we're gonna have more and more a variety of distributors, more and more products out there. And especially like your daughter, it's not just that we have more distributors, it's we have more product to choose from um, because people are inventing stuff all the time.
0: In fact, I would say one of the problems we are drowning in good wine we are drowning in craft beer now in mm-hmm. craft spirits there is so much good product coming out today it's a very exciting time the industry yeah. isn't consolidating it's actually an amazing growth period yeah uh, for both the manufacturers restaurants and wholesalers who are in the business
1: yeah that's fantastic so we've covered a lot of ground is there anything else that i failed to cover that you want to hit as a topic that i missed anything
0: you know, I, I think the most interesting thing is the bifurcation yeah of small craft large industrial neither one is going away and i That's think right. they can all coexist with each other um and i just think this is a fasc, fascinating time to be in the food wine and spirits industry it's a great industry and uh, I encourage people to continue to explore, um, and it's a very dynamic place. And it's a place that will affect the health of our planet, the health of our bodies, as we think about how we eat, what we eat, and how we create and raise the products we eat. Uh, we'll all have a major impact on the planet. And I think we're all uh, starting to do it and think a little bit smarter.
1: Yeah, and you're right. I think there is a lot more intelligence especially recently over the last 20 years on all of these options that really didn't exist when i was younger and then certainly you're right about food overall including beverages is a massive part of the entire world's uh, effort if you will everything from growing food to producing it to distributing it uh getting it through the outlets my son's case preparing it all that stuff it's an um, it's important to all of us individually But economically, it's important as well. So looking beyond just your own company, if you look at food supply around the world, it's a massive, massive part of the global GDP for sure.
0: And one other plug I'd like to give, in a world where there is less tolerance, where people are not listening, where we struggle about us coming together, I would recommend get everyone over the dinner table. Have a meal, open up a good bottle of wine, have a drink before and have a good discussion. I have found that over my life, I've gotten more accomplished over the dinner table than I have the boardroom table, my desk. When I get people out and I share good food, drink with them, it's amazing the things we can solve together.
1: You're right, Charles. Thank you very much for this. It's been awesome about hearing about you and your history and also Breakthrough Beverage, how the company has grown over the years and the value to the food industry. So, with that, I want to thank you very much, Charles. It's been great. My
0: pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry.